it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve in the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. So, if you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please, send it my way. Now, what do you get when you decide to build a story and a movie franchise for your lead actress who also happens to be your wife at the time? Why, you get Underworld. And welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Again, I have to apologize right here at the beginning of this episode of the podcast because in between, there wasn't an actual review when it should have come out. But there was a wonderful interview and discussion that I had with Phantom Dave, uh, which I was so happy with and it was so entertaining to do. And I'm glad that it was able to come out as a bonus episode for you guys. And I'm sorry that it came out in place of this episode instead. Now that that's out of the way, let's start talking about Underworld. Now, this was a franchise that I was kind of trying to debate. What movie do I really want to do? Uh, Do I want to start from the beginning? Do I just want to jump into one? See one I haven't seen before? with the exception of the one that was just released in January of 2017. I really didn't want to jump in that one because I've actually never seen the film before it or Rise of the Lycans. I know that I could skip Rise of the Lycans completely if I wanted to go into number four, which I think is called Awakening or some bullshit like that. But I've seen the original, the first one that started it all, and I saw Underworld Evolution. And Evolution, I don't know if I could have sat through once again. So I put it out there. I put it out there on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. What film would you like me to review in terms of Underworld? Because I wanted to do one of these. Now I know you're saying, Terrible Terror, this is not really a horror movie. Yeah, it's more of a fantasy action film, I guess. But it takes those elements from horror. And it has some scenes that are kind of dark and brooding and in the theater maybe they would have been pretty good but you know when it's you sitting here watching it at home and definitely the last half hour and even the first like 20 minutes of the movie it's not really a horror movie but you're dealing with vampires and werewolves and so let's stick it into the fantasy horror category just for that um i get it you may disagree with my choice but my fucking podcast so uh <laughs> not not to be rude like that but i it's just a film franchise i wanted to talk about and i just wanted to talk about one movie in particular and kind of maybe do like an overview not necessarily of all the films but just kind of what my feelings on the franchise kind of have been so i posted the question i got some responses i didn't get as many responses as i wanted to But the overall consensus was just go with the first film. A lot of people really like this film. 
And I, for one, I'm just not a fan of the franchise in general. Now, don't get me wrong here. It's the ideas behind the franchise and the lore of the franchise are actually, I think they're pretty good. Uh, It brings a lot of interesting things into the mix with vampires and werewolves, or as they're called here, lichens. Um, Which is probably one of the more funny moments in the film, uh, which we'll talk about a little later on, when she explains what lichens are. Uh, And it was... I remember the biggest reason why I saw this film, and the, the, this very first one, was because of the soundtrack. Now, I am notably a huge fucking Maynard James Keenan fan. He is my favorite singer in the world, and when I found out that he was going to be putting out a solo song under the guise of Pussifer, or Pussifer, or however the fuck you say it... Um, that I automatically had to get this soundtrack. Uh, and to my surprise, it is one of my favorite movie soundtracks of all time. It ranks up there with The Crow, uh, the Thomas Jane Punisher soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, the Batman soundtrack that was done by Prince. I'm talking about your old, very first Tim Burton Batman movie. Uh, there's a lot of really fantastic and wonderful soundtracks, and this is definitely one of my favorite of all time. And it's not just because Maynard James Keenan shows up on four different tracks on that CD. One is Pussifer, or Pussifer. Uh, one with David Bowie, which is fan-fucking-taxic. It's a remix that includes him in it, uh, Bring Me the Disco King. Uh, and two different versions of a Perfect Circle songs. One that is a weird remix uh, that I don't actually... I It's okay, uh, but it doesn't strike me as fantastic. And then there is like a full-on rock... I think Wes Borland actually had a hand in this one doing a full-on like metal rock mix of Weak and Powerless, which is fucking fantastic. And... But there's so many other good songs on there and ones that you wouldn't even expect to be really good. And when I say don't expect it, I mean Mila Jodhovich does a song on the soundtrack called Rocket Collecting, which is probably my second favorite track on that soundtrack. Uh, And I know that she's did albums before this and she had one where she was like barking on the track and it was a little weird and just but this it sounds so good and the tempo goes with it um and and there's plenty of other i mean there's like a quiet version of hover uh there is a band um that was only formed for this which includes west borland and uh see i always want to say that it's robert patterson for some reason but it's richard patrick who is the lead singer uh, for Filter. And he and Wes Borland and some other guys, they did, I think, a band for this called The Damning Well. And it's the intro track, and it's really, really good. I mean, you've got a lot. And also, the, like, the Dillinger Escape Plan. And there's... there's I could go on and on just about the soundtrack and go actually in-depth and go through each song one by one. I love it that much. I listened to it today. Uh... Actually, I did listen to it today a little bit as of the recording. uh, Just because, and I'll talk about it at the end of the movie, I had to hear a couple of songs at least from the soundtrack after watching the movie. 
but enough about the soundtrack. So that that's what kind of interested me in actually seeing this movie. I mean, it did look, you know, interesting enough to be like, oh, hey, okay, vampires, werewolves, they're fighting each other. For some reason, there's guns involved. Oh, some of those stunts look kind of cool. All right, let's go ahead and give it a chance. I mean, Kate Beckinsale looks really hot in it, too. I mean, she's wearing that full, like, leather bodysuit. It's almost like bondage gear, but it's not quite bondage gear. Uh, And the stunts, again, they look kind of cool, and I can kind of get into it. Okay, let's go see it. So, we saw it. And, hey, it's, to me, at least at the time, it was just mediocre. You know, it wasn't, like, great. It wasn't bad. It was just right in the middle. Like, there were things that were just missing from the film that I felt could, you know, enhance the the way the lore... Like I said, I, I even after watching it, uh, you know, in the theater, I thought, hey, these ideas are kind of cool, but they tend to add some things, as you'll kind of notice as the movie moves along. Uh, the... Only thing that I came into this time going to the movie, because, and I'm really glad, honestly, listeners, I'm really glad that you did not pick Evolution, because that is a pile of fucking garbage. Let me tell you, that's the only way that uh, I'd watch that movie again, is having to do it for this podcast. Uh, but, you, I went into the watching this again, because I actually haven't watched this in quite a while, and I went into it again, and I remembered so much about the movie. And it's not like I only saw this once. I've seen this a couple of times uh, past that. Just, again, to be like, do I really dislike it? Or do I think it's a better movie than maybe I thought it was? And again, coming into this time, uh, I really feel like uh, I kind of got my answer from re-watching this movie yet again just to do this podcast. So, without further ado... Celine, why don't you introduce us into the world that Underworld is set in? The war had all but ground to a halt in the blink of an eye. Lucian, the most feared and ruthless leader ever to rule the Lycan clan, had finally been killed. The Lycan horde scattered to the wind in a single evening of flame and retribution. Victory, it seemed, was in our grasp. The very birthright of the vampires. Nearly six centuries had passed since that night, yet the ancient blood feud proved unwilling to follow Lucian to the grave. Though lichens were fewer in number, the war itself had become more perilous, for the moon no longer held her sway. Older, more powerful lichens were now able to change at will. The weapons had evolved, but our orders remained the same. Hunt them down and kill them off, one by one. A most successful campaign. Perhaps too successful. Okay, so what we can get from here, at least from the beginning, is that there's always been a war between the two clans, right? You have the vampires and you have the lichens, or as you know, most people know them as werewolves. Okay, 
couple of things that you kind of notice from here. One, it's Kate Beckinsale's style of acting, at least for this film. I'm not going to go into other movies that she's done that I think she should be in pretty crappy or ones that I think, think she's done well. But if we look at specifically these Underworld movies, she is bored as fuck. Like, literally, there are at least these portions where there's a voiceover versus her actually acting. Because there's times where she does show emotion. I'm not going to discount that. But anytime you have to listen to her, either, you know, it's ADR or it's an overdub of whatever is going on in the scene or her giving some type of exposition, she sounds so goddamn bored all the damn time. I just, I can't get it. I don't know why. And you should also know that the film itself, it's been directed uh, by Len Wiseman. Uh, and at the time, I don't remember if it was before or during or after, uh, but Kate Beckinsale was his wife. And he kind of wrote these scenes in this film for her, with her specifically in mind. Uh, and that definitely shows a little more in the second one than it does in this one. Uh, so just kind of keep that in the back burner of your mind when you're watching the film because you kind of see the way that they do things and even how awkwardly done some stuff happened in the second one, uh, which I'll explain later in the film uh, because we get a weird... <laughs> we get something weird that happens later on in this film. I think that was in place of it... It ended up happening in the second film and not in this film specifically. I don't want to be too vague right now, but I don't want to jump ahead of myself of where we need to be in this film. So she jumps off the roof uh, and I was swearing that she was going to do some type of like superhero landing. And if you don't know what that is, please look it up because it's very hard to explain. But superheroes land in a specific way and Deadpool made a very funny joke about it. And I thought that was going to happen here, but she ends up does some weird, like, land-walk thing. Uh, it's very odd, but they go chasing after the lichens that look like they're chasing after somebody else. And then we start getting into the action right away. Uh, so, what the the werewolf guys, and you're just to assume that those are the werewolf guys. It's, there's a big African-American gentleman and another guy with him. And they're chasing after a guy who happens to look like Scott Stapp from creed uh and honestly that's all i saw for the entire movie i know it's scott speedman uh that plays uh, uh, michael but for this case that's scott stapp i don't care you guys again if you don't know who that is look him up it's only one of the biggest selling rock bands that came out of the 2000s okay so right now we know that scott stapp he's wanted for some reason by the lichens this then causes after Celine and her buddy, uh, vampire buddy, come and try to chase after him. It caused them to have a firefight within the subway. And there's a lot of really cool little effects they do. She does some weird little wall jump, which is kind of neat. Her vampire friend, he gets blown away by what looks like to be some type of like ultra light uh, or ultraviolet bullet, uh, which of course that's confirmed a little later on. I know I'm kind of getting ahead of myself with that but you can't mistake the fact that those bullets glow and he suddenly started breaking out with like the light beaming from inside of the effect is kind of cool and what i like this film is from 2003 so you don't have a heavy reliance on cg so you get a lot of decent practical effects and decent cg 
It's never really fantastic CG and fantastic practical, but you also don't get like super horrible, maybe except for like one little scene. You get some funky kind of CG effects with some of the lichens, but for the most part, you get really well-looking models for both, especially I do like the lichens very much in the practical effect, even though there are just a little bit stiff so she's busy shooting at the the lichens and again she looks very bored shooting the gun and here's one of the other things in this film that becomes ridiculous and it's not so bad in this one because you actually see her reloading the guns but the guns that both sides use seems to have like unlimited ammo they're just constantly firing it i get it it's a movie but really if you're going to show at least at this point that she's constantly reloading she's unloading you know magazine after magazine uh and then later on in the film especially with one scene we're going to talk about she just has unlimited ammo it's like the gun what how did she do this She doesn't ever, she seemed to change a a magazine or a clip ever again in the film. I think she does it barely here. She kind of does it towards the end of the movie. But for the most part, this is the only time that you really see it. Unless she's unloading a gun or unless she's looking to see, hey, what type of bullets are in this gun? Like, it's seriously, this is the only time that you're going to get it. And again, she looks like she's fucking bored doing the whole thing. And it also led me to think about, you know, why do they use guns? Okay, uh, silver bullets kill werewolves. I can understand maybe then that's why the vampires themselves use guns. But the werewolves, as we learn later on, especially with their techniques, shouldn't they just transform? I mean, maybe they're trying to keep themselves hidden away. But shouldn't they stay in, like, werewolf form all the goddamn time? If that's when they're the most strongest, especially when they go underground... Uh, and they've already caused a ruckus and people aren't looking to see what it is because supposedly there's a secret war, but the public seems to be involved all the goddamn time whenever they fight. Well, mostly in the beginning, to be honest with you. As it goes on, it I guess it really just comes down to the two societies. But again, it's weird because, well, you'll see. I hate trying to, I want to... <laughs> this is one of those movies, to be honest with you guys, I wish I had somebody sitting across from me. Uh, So that we could just kind of bounce off the different parts of the movie and go through. Because I just, I want to know a lot of this stuff that kind of goes on in this film. I have so many questions about what happens here. Why do you guys do this? Why? And maybe somebody to explain it to me exactly, you know, maybe somebody that really likes the franchise. Go ahead and write me and tell me, hey, this is what exactly happens. And I know a lot of what has kind of come out, you know, with other films and the lore that's kind of gone through, and I've read through at least the plot summaries of the other ones so I can have a better idea. But honestly, I think that there are some things that are kind of set in this that get manipulated later on in the film. But again, I'm kind of getting way ahead of myself, and I'm almost delving into the other movies. Now, when when one of the main Lycan guys transforms... Uh, into his powerful wolf form the transformation scene honestly holds up pretty well like they did a very good job of actually showing like the mouth move and it move out and the arms you know the hands getting bigger the arms getting a little bit longer and the legs getting kind of like weirdly chicken like like they get a weird bend that is the one thing on the model that i'm not quite sure needed to be i mean maybe you want to make it more animal like but at the same time it's kind of awkward to be honest with you so one of the vampires gets his ass kicked and celine comes in 
to help. Uh, and before he can transform, she just unloads a ton of fucking bullets into the guy's body. And I guess, which we do learn a little later, later but I can kind of say now, uh, the silver bullets themselves, uh, they stop them from transforming. So when they try to transform and change their human shape into the wolf-like shape, or the lichen shape, uh, if you plug them with enough silver bullets, it actually will stop that from happening. And she plugged in enough to kill about 15 fucking lichens, so... Uh, then she gets attacked by the, uh, the guy that had changed, which is the kind of bigger African-American gentleman who looks like Ving Rhames Light. Uh, and then when he comes to attack her at one point, she throws these blades at him. Now, I could have sworn that they weren't just blades, that they were like, you know, well, they're kind of like those crawl discs or that crawl weapon, you know, not quite. I mean, that's more or less in the Jeepers Creepers world, right? Uh, but they're like similar where they're like circular blades with the blades on the outside sticking out of them. And she throws a bunch at him and I thought they were to make the werewolf explode, which would have been really cool. I mean, you throw it into him and he goes and then he's fucking dead. That would be fantastic. But no, they're just blades that stick in him. Uh, so she takes, uh, some of the guns away with her. She realizes that maybe they were doing something kind of weird down there. And so she goes off, goes back home. And, but before she leaves and before she's able to escape, she hears noises coming from the underground. And what she hears is actually a whole pack of lichens. And they're having some sort of weird underground lichen fight club. Uh, I guess... You know, they're not really supposed to, but they're, like, beating the shit out of each other. They're slashing each other and getting all, you know, scarred up and everything like that. And then in comes Lucian, the leader of these lichens. You're acting like a pack of rabid dogs! And that, gentlemen, simply will not do. Not if you expect to defeat the vampires on their own ground. Not if you expect to survive at all. Pierce! Taylor! Put some clothes on, will you? Now, if you didn't know it, Lucian is played by Michael Sheen. And if you don't know who Michael Sheen is, I mean, he is best known for the Underworld movies, but he was a part of Kingdom of Heaven, Frost Nixon, and probably the one series that you'll know him for is Master of Sex. Or Masters of Sex. He was also recently in Passengers, where he played the robot behind the counter that was kind of giving advice to uh, Chris Pratt, but not really. I mean, he was just more being a robot than anything else. So, uh, it's weird to see him in those type of movies, and then to realize that this is kind of one of the, the first mainstream movies series that he really got involved with. And he does a actually pretty good job. He's probably my favorite character and favorite actor within the film. See, that's been one of my parts about the later films. And we also have another guy in here who is a great character actor. And you'll know him when he pops up. Uh, but the it's the leads that really bother me in these films. I mean, Kate Beckinsale, she doesn't necessarily do well, I think, in the Underworld movies. But she has been in some other films uh, that are not named Van Helsing, where she's done a very good job. Uh, <laughs> so, 
the other thing that we should notice from this scene is that clothing uh, disappears the moment they become a lichen. And not like disappears like, oh, hey, the clothing all of a sudden is just randomly gone. No, no. It actually does a pretty good job of if they transform when they've got uh, their clothes on, the clothes will rip and they will not have any more. They're just going to be naked for the rest of the time. And actually, I kind of applaud the movie for doing that. Because a lot of the times when you have a monster transformation or you have a Hulk transformation or you have some weird one, the clothing always seems to go with it. And I never understand that. Like, how can, you know, I know it's been said a million times, but how can the Hulk, how can Bannon change into the Hulk, yet his clothing stay exactly the same, just a little ripped up? Or you have Dracula turn into a bat, and then he turns back, and he's got all his clothes perfectly fine. Wouldn't he change into a bat or a mist, and the clothes would just, like, drop, and then when he comes back, there's the wiener. It's just hanging there. I mean, that would be great for Dracula, honestly, because if he's going to go surprise the woman that he wants to be with, and he's got a decent-sized hog, and maybe, you know, he's already kind of seduced her, he pops up in the room, pops without his clothes, and boom, dong right there, all ready to go. But, you know, of course, then Dracula might also be, uh, you know, accused of indecent exposure or some shit like that. So, I guess we should leave Dracula alone and kind of out of this equation, at least for the Underworld films. So, from this scene, she manages to escape, and then she goes back to the vampire house. Where we see the two worlds of both the Lycans and the vampires... They are complete opposite types of lifestyles from each other. The vampires live a very decadent life. The outfits that they wear are very bougie. And it really seems like the, you know, if you want to take it into a context of nowadays stuff, the vampires are like the 1% and the werewolves are like the 99%ers, right? They're the poor, they're the the high class. And we do learn later on, and I, I guess I'll say spoiler alert for right now, uh, that the werewolves used to be within service of the like uh, of the not the lichens but the vampires and that's kind of where you get this type of classist system from uh, but it'll be better explained as we get on in the movie but it gives you kind of context of why the werewolves are kind of fighting back for the time being so Celine takes back the bullets and the gun that she found that was on the lichens and takes them to their uh, weaponsmith to have a look at them to run a few tests it's definitely an irradiated fluid of some sort. Ultraviolet ammunition. Daylight harnessed as a weapon. Expect me to believe that a mangy animal came up with a bullet specifically engineered to kill vampires. No, I'm betting it's military. Something they stole, some sort of high-tech trace around. Look, I don't care where they got these things. Rigel is dead and Nathaniel could still be out there. We should gather the death dealers and head back down there in force. Absolutely not. Not now. Not for a random incursion. The Awakening is only a few days off. And this house is in a state of unrest as it is. Random? They opened fire on us in full view of the public. And from the commotion I heard down in that tunnel... You said yourself you didn't actually see anything. Look, I know what I heard, and I know what my gut tells me, and I am telling you, there could be dozens of lichens down there. Who knows? Maybe more. Hundreds. We've hunted them to the brink of extinction. Craven's right, Celine. There's not been a den of that magnitude for centuries. Not since the days of Lucian. I know that, Khan. But I'd rather have you prove me wrong by checking it out. So, this is one of those tropes in this movie that I absolutely hate. She's right. We know she's right. She knows she's right. But nobody believes her 
because she can't verify visual proof. But as an audience, we've already seen the fact that, hey, that motherfucker is actually alive. We don't know it's Lucian yet. Uh, Maybe that's a little bit of a spoiler I should have not said so far. But at the same time, you can tell that he's kind of the leader of the Lycans. And she was able to overhear everything that was going on. So now you know, okay, something's going on to the point that uh, somebody's going to betray the vampires for whatever reason. We're also introduced into Craven. Now, Craven's little backstory here with this film is he's the one that actually killed Lucian. And we'll learn a little more about that later on in the film. Uh, but I want that to sit kind of back in your heads for right now uh, while we move on with the rest of the film. So, uh, we learn that the awakening is happening in a couple days, but we don't know exactly what it is. And uh, from what I can gather from the film is that at every certain point, they have a changing of the guard. And I'm sorry that I'm going to go a little out of order when it comes to the lore in this film, but I feel that it helps the rest of the film. Uh, you understand it a little better when we listen to some of the clips so that I don't necessarily have all of the actors explain a couple of things. So there are going to be lower things that are a little out of order of everything else. So, uh, and if I'm completely wrong, I'm going to state this now. Please send me a message and explain some of the stuff to me. Because again... I- I like the lore of these films, but I don't necessarily understand it all because it's not very well explained within this movie. And I know there's a lot of outside stuff and maybe stuff in the more recent movies, uh, especially with Rise of the Lycans, which is a prequel to actually this film. And maybe with even the last two where they explain more things that were going on. Because there were things in this film that, again, like I say, were erased with the second one. So if there's something that I don't understand quite clearly or doesn't make as much sense to you, Uh, and you know better than I do, DM me on Twitter, send me a message on Facebook, or you can even DM me on uh, Instagram if you really want to, but who fuck wants to do that? Uh, So, every so many years, and it's hundreds of years, it's centuries, whatever cycle that they're on, and I'm not sure what the cycle is, they do an awakening ceremony, and this one's actually happened to happening within four days of the start of the film. Uh, And... What it is, is one of the elders that's currently awake, that is currently within rule of everything, she gives some of her, she she or he gives some of their blood to the next ruler in line of the entire vampire race. Now, it just so happens that in the coven that Selene is in, there are two different uh leaders that are hibernating one is victor and the other one is marcus and marcus is actually the next in line to be awoken through the awakening ceremony so while victor and marcus are sleeping the third elder is actually not at this coven she's somewhere else and for the life of me i cannot figure out where this movie fucking takes place okay and this is probably something else that's another side thing, but I really have to get this one off my chest, like, right now. I think it's in fucking Europe. It's somewhere in fucking Europe, okay? Because they talk about the other one coming, I think they come from the West, or they might come from the States. I don't fucking know. But they come from somewhere else. And the entire time, I cannot figure out, for the life of me, because when you look at the cars, they have European license plate on them. But when they drive them... They drive them like American cars. So unless they're in a European area that drives the cars like American cars, where, I mean, the driver is on the 
left side of the vehicle and the passengers on the right side, then I'm not sure where they are. I know it needs to be some type of, like, gothic type of fucking country. But I don't fucking know. Is it fucking Transylvania? Is it fucking Timbuk fucking 2? Where the fuck is this place? Is it Hungary? Is it Russia? Is it... Where? Where? Where do you take place film? Because I could not, for the life of me, figure out what fucking magical vampire city this is supposed to be. If... You know, in the beginning, I thought, oh, hey, maybe this is taking some place in America. It could be placed, like, it could be in the Ukraine, because that's where they decided to film it, and they're just going to have the fucking everything set up, and okay, we're just going to go from there. But it's nondescript European fucking city land. That's where this takes place, and that's where I believe it takes place the entire time. So, let's get back to the story, because I think I've gotten way too off of topic. So there's an argument between, of course, Craven and Celine, and it seems like Craven really wants Celine, but he doesn't like her at the same time, but he lusts after her, I guess. And then there's, like, blonde vampire girl who seems to be only interested in Craven and, the, I think, the power that he has, as well as uh, that horrible accent and acting job that he does. Uh, she absolutely loves it because she wants to be with him, and she does everything she can in this film to fuck over Celine in one way or another, uh, which we'll talk about again as the film moves along. Celine decides, hey, I need to go get some guidance from Victor. And that's where we find out that Victor is actually somewhere below the entire complex in some room in a frozen state. And Blondie, she decides that she's going to come up and try to convince Celine and tell her that th- what she's doing right now is just fucking pointless. It's a waste of time, you know. What is? Well, I seriously doubt Victor would want you freezing to death in here, staring at his tomb for hours on end. No, he'd want the death dealers out there right now, scaring every inch of the city. Craven. I'll never understand why Victor left him in charge. He's a bureaucrat, not a warrior. Come on, we need to get you ready. For what? The posse. Amelia's envoy will be here any minute. We cut away from this to see the lichen that had been stabbed by all those little serrated blade things that I thought were bombs, he actually did survive after all everything was done, and he's walking back to the base. Cut back over to Celine, and she's checking out the, basically the video footage, I guess, or the camera footage that she got, and she figures out, hey, those guys are actually following somebody that happens to be a human. She kind of gets engrossed with her work, and they're is an envoy that's coming up shortly. Craven comes into the room and tells her that she needs to start putting her clothes on. You know I was planning on having you at my side this evening. Take Erica. She's dying to be at your side. If you ask me, you take this warrior business far too seriously. You can't undo the past, no matter how many you kill. And besides, What's the point in being immortal if you deny yourself the simple pleasures in life? Do you see this human? What of him? I can't be positive, but I'm beginning to think the lichens are... Blast. Put on something elegant and be quick about it. Craven, I'm serious. I think they were following him. Other than food, why would lichens stalk a human? Well, that's something we're going to have to figure out later in the movie because it's obvious that they're going after Scott Stapp. 
I mean, he did have that hit single, and I think Grammy-winning single of Higher. And with that angelic singing voice, fuck, maybe they could find a way to turn it into a potion. And then, you know, all the Lycans will be greatest singers uh, the world has ever known. And then they'll go into a life of misery and craziness and despair, only to come up and become the lead singer of a band that Scott Weiland was the singer of, who said he never was the singer of. And, oh wait, I'm getting way too off topic and way too much on Scott's step. Uh, so... Uh, she decides that her work is better than going for all play. Uh, and from this, we cut over to the Lycans again, and they're working on somebody kind of down in a lab. You see this guy, and he's taking the blood of uh, somebody, and he puts it in a vial, and the vial turns black, and uh, he basically says it's not working when he starts talking with Lucian. Not sure exactly what's going on, but... Again, it's something that does get explained a little later on the film, and this is something I kind of want to give away right now. But all we know is whatever they're searching for and whatever they're looking for is somehow connected to Michael, and it's connected to the fact that this blood is not working. There's, You can see on the wall there's like a mapping of all these different people to each other, and he's the only one that kind of is... Uh, the the specific one that they're looking for. Even though they're testing anybody else, and it kind of maybe is like a family tree type of thing, like all these people are related in one way, and maybe Michael is the only one that has something different than the rest of them, but if they're all related, maybe they all carry something similar. So, uh, you know, Ving Ram's light comes back, and he throws uh, one of the dead people i I don't couldn't tell i think it was the werewolf that had died uh not necessarily the vampire that they had killed and lucian begins to question him hey do they know that we were going after michael the vampires didn't realize you were following a human did they raise no Ah! i mean i don't think so you don't think or you don't know I'm not sure. Negative. So you really must have a look at this, Michael. Must I do everything myself? So, before this too, we also found out that Michael, he's working as a, uh, well, they said he he was involved within a surgery and he did a really good job. So, it's weird. I think that Scott Stabb, not only is he the lead singer of Creed, but he's also a surgeon? That's fucking insane. I had no idea that Scott Stapp was so fucking important. This movie is fucking opening my eyes. So, uh, we go back to Celine and she's looking through the footage and she's somehow working on like an old Mac and I'm not sure really why that all of a sudden caught my eye maybe it's just because it's a sign of the times you know you look at that that looks like an old school Mac OS and it's a really shitty browser and the picture is really down and pixelated and you're like uh you know they could have used something maybe a little clearer for this but maybe the budget was put into those outfits that everybody's wearing rather than the technology that's around everybody i mean you can easily impose a decent looking picture onto a screen 
using, you know, a fake Mac browser, but they went just the cheap fucking route, to be honest with you. Uh, so they're, the other vampires are getting together at this point, and they're talking about reuniting the clans. I guess uh, once Marcus awakes, uh, they're going to, you know, merge everybody together because their leader, I guess she's going to sleep, and Marcus is maybe a leader of this clan, even though I've heard Celine say that this is Victor's house, so... I don't know what's going on. Uh, whatever. Fucking Celine decides to leave uh, and go after Michael. Uh, well, Scott's dad. Uh, so then we get kind of a uh, scene where she's looking through his apartment. And meanwhile, back at the hospital, there are cops that are looking for Michael. And his friend thinks that he might be in some sort of trouble. He comes in, he does his job, and then he goes home. Other than that, I really don't know what to tell you. Interns pretty much work round the clock. We don't have much of a life. You know where we can find him? No. Um, you can try him at home, or you'll have to wait till he gets back. He's not in some kind of trouble, is he? So, Michael does come back to his apartment where Selene is in there. And then the phone just randomly starts ringing, uh, and she goes and hides. Now, again, the phone that's in there, it's an old rotary phone. And the answer machine that's attached to it is really ancient. It's even too old for 2003 for when this movie was made. I mean, even I had a decent thing. The only thing that's kind of funny are that the cell phones they use do match the time, and they're all old-school Nokia's. You know the type that you could, like, tie two together through a rope and you can use them like nunchucks and start beating the shit out of everybody that you run into? Yeah, those old-styled Nokias, because they'd still work and they'd still make a fucking phone call. Ugh, I don't want to get involved in that anymore. So, again, there, she realizes that the Lycans have come after him and all of a sudden, when she grabs him, everybody starts attacking in. And there's some really bad effects here. There's some really bad CG of the wolves running along the walls and the ceiling, um, you know. And it also seems like Michael's only in this movie, which is kind of funny when you think about it, but only to be the damsel in distress. Like, Celine is actually the kick-ass heroine. She's the all-powerful, you know, it's, it's a good role reversal for this movie, to be honest with you. Because you don't see these types of movies, at least back in 2003, you didn't see them very often. You see them a lot more now. But, and especially when it comes to horror, there are a lot more female protagonists than there are male, but they're always kind of helpless. Where she is the badass action hero, and he's kind of the, for the time being, the damsel in distress. And now we come to the most ridiculous and kind of cool action effect in the entire movie. See, Michael runs down the hall and he gets into the elevator. And when he gets in there, Celine tries to follow him, but he's able to get the doors closed and start descending the elevator before she can get in. The Lycans, they're running down the hall with that really stupid and shitty effect. And she's like, how do I get away from them? I don't know. Oh, man, if there was only some way that I could get below me really, really fast. But I know these guys are coming at me. And uh, I know that I could just try to shoot and kill every one of them. You know, I've done a pretty good job of killing Lycans so far. And especially for the past, like, I think 600 years. 
you know, since I was a young girl and then when I turned and now I've been helping them for this long ass time. Nah, I can't really do that. No, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to unload every single fucking bullet that I have and shoot out a circle around me so that it creates a hole in the floor that I can just drop down to the very bottom of this building to catch up to Michael. Oh, and I've got unlimited bullets because fuck it. We don't need continuity in this film. And, uh, you know, I'm still not going to get there in time because when I get down there, uh, He's going to get bitten by Lucian, who's going to steal a lot of his blood, which is the reason that they're trying to get him, is what you find out. Because they need to test his blood to make sure that it works. Uh, and it's fucking ridiculous. I mean, it's cool. It is a very cool looking scene. The whole thing, okay, I'm taking a bunch of bullets. I'm but it takes way too fucking long. Like, the way the lichens are rushing down the hallway... They should have caught up to her, and when she finally, you know, unloaded the rest of her magazine into the floor, um, when she went to reload, the lichens should have already been there. But she doesn't have to reload. All she has to do is spin in a fucking circle, and then shoot the ground, and she's able to get through, and Jesus Christ, she's got it ready. So, uh, after Michael is bitten, uh, Celine gets him and starts to run away. She also gets kind of hurt uh, by... Lucius, uh, or Lucian, sorry, not Lucius, uh, and, uh, she, in, in another ridiculous yet kind of cool, a little bit cooler special effect, she is being chased, uh, Lucian goes all T2 on her and starts chasing her and Michael in the car, and she, he managed to jump in front of the car and she stops, uh, and then she backs up and she revs it, guns it, and goes right at him. And when she goes right at him, he jumps onto the hood of the car, bounces off the top, springs way up in the goddamn air, and is able to land perfectly back on his feet. And they get away. It's very silly, but it looks kind of cool. Um, so they go off. Michael screams out, what the fuck is going on? And at this point, I want to say, yes, Michael, I want to know, too, what the fuck is going on in this film. Because... They really haven't explained much. They've done a little bit of lore, but why are they after him? What exactly, why is he important? Uh, why do the vampires, why does she feel that she needs to go after him too? It's not really explained at this point, but we'll get more as, as it moves on. Um, she actually ends up having a big scratch uh, and where she says, oh, it's nothing. But in all in all, she actually passes out. They flip the car and they land into off the docks and he's actually able to stop the wound from bleeding out. Which again, if she's immortal and she can only be killed with either ultraviolet bullets or a stake through the heart, I'm assuming. Then why should she be worrying about drowning or bleeding out? Uh, but Michael being the nice guy that he is uh, does patch her up and stays with her. We then cut back over to the lab, and we see Lucian actually coming back, and he holds up that he's got something for the good doctor that's there. A second escape. Impressive. Perhaps Ray's wasn't overstating matters. Ray's didn't bring back this.
souls. Indeed, the carrier. The vampires. Relax, can... old friend. I've tasted his flesh. Just two days till full moon. Soon he will be a lichen. Soon he will come looking for us. So now he's been bit and he's going to be a freaking werewolf at some point. And now there it's we're getting to the point where there's only two days left into the full moon and that's when he's going to change over. Uh, at the same time, they test the blood and instead of the vial turning black or, you know, it looked kind of red to me, but I can kind of understand now that it's kind of black. It turns like a purple in color and so that means that the blood is actually good. Uh, we cut back over to uh, Michael. He's at the house, uh, the mansion, the vampire mansion, and he's having weird flashbacks. Uh, of course, what do they mean? Where are we going with this? Still don't fucking know. Uh, Selena's watching over him. She talks to Blondie. Blondie explains that, oh, she thinks that uh, Selena's just brought him back here specifically to, you know, turn him into a vampire to bang him. That's why she's got him there. And of course she's like, no, it's because the werewolves want him. And that's not really what it is. Well, she's like, you know, Craven's kind of pissed. You need to go fucking talk to him and I'll watch over this guy. And she's watching over him with her lustful eye. Uh, Selene goes over to meet Craven. And he brings up a very ridiculous theory involving her and Michael. This is completely unacceptable. You go against my orders and spend the night away from the shelter of the mansion with a human? A human that you've since brought back into my house? As far as I'm concerned, this is still Victor's house. Look, I don't want to argue. I just need you to understand that Michael is somehow important to the Lycan. Oh, so now it's Michael! Craven, would you just hear that? It's just beyond me why you're still obsessing over this ridiculous theory. Lucien wouldn't be the slightest bit interested in a human, Michael or otherwise. You're infatuated with him, aren't you? Now that's a ridiculous theory. Is it? So we cut over back to Blondie, and she's looking over uh, Michael and and basically kind of lusting after him. She almost seems like a character that she wants whatever Celine has. So if Celine likes it or Celine wants it, she's going to be like, oh, I have to get me a piece of that. And so now that Celine's all into Scott Stapp, who I thought might have been a surgeon, and then we found out he's just a fucking intern, that fucking worthless piece of shit. Uh, he, she like kind of looks at him and starts pulling off of his shirt, and she notices that Scott Stapp here, Michael, has been bit. Uh, and she goes all freaky vampire and goes on the walls, and then he jumps out the window, and then Craven's all like, release the hound, Smithers. And uh, the dogs chase after him, but Michael's able to get away. Uh, this causes Celine to get pissed off. Well, Craven to get pissed off at Celine. Celine to get pissed off and go shooting at the range where there the vampire weapons guy shows her that he's copied the lichen rounds. You've copied the lichen rounds. Silver nitrate. Lethal dose. They won't be able to dig these out like they do with their usual rounds. Straight into the bloodstream. Ain't nothing to dig out. Tell me, Khan. Do you believe Lucian died the way they say he did? Craven been telling war stories again, eh? Well, that's my point. 
It's nothing but an ancient story. His story. Not a shred of proof he killed Lucian, only his word. I've never underestimated Craven's lust for advancement. But Victor believed him, and that's all that matters. Now, where are you going with this anyway? Nowhere. Yeah, she's going so far nowhere that she's going to break to where they had the history books. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, she's so see-through. A lot of these characters are so see-through. I'm pretty sure you can see through one of the major characters right now without me having to explain what exactly is going on with that character. And the other thing that kind of got me at this point, do you notice when some of them are talking, they have this, like, lisp? Like, maybe they're drooling because the fangs in their mouth, and they're, like, you know, that the prosthetics that they used for the vampire teeth uh, has prohibited some of them from talking clearly. Almost every vampire. Uh, only person that really doesn't seem to have it very often is Craven, and he just acts poorly. But the weapons dude, he, all the time, all the time, it's like he can't quite keep them, like maybe they're falling out of his mouth and he keeps like pushing them up, and that's how he's able to continue his conversations. And even sometimes Celine, Kate Beckinsale is, does it, and sometimes she doesn't do it. But when you look at them, all their top lips are protruding forward, with the exception of of one guy who is going to be coming up in just a little bit. Uh, so Celine then goes and breaks into the archives and she gets the book out and starts reading the history of the vampires. In doing so, she runs apart the part that where Craven and where he had defeated Lucian. And she begins to read the text aloud because even though it's written there in the book, the audience has already gone through a very long scene. Now, uh, I will say that I've been watching the director's cut or the extended cut, so there are a couple scenes I don't quite remember if they're mixed in, and please, again, if you know it, please let me know. Uh, but I'm going to assume that how long this goes on for doesn't go on in the original cut of the film, because it just seems like it's really long. It's it's basically her sitting there reading the book. We're watching her reading the book until she comes forth and starts telling us the tale of Craven's triumph. Of the scores of brave souls who entered Lucian's fortress, a single vampire survived. Craven, who was richly rewarded for not only setting the great blaze, but for returning with evidence of the Lycan Master's demise. The branded skin, cut from Lucian's very arm. So we see that there's a missing page in the book, and we also see her take out the piece of Lucian's arm that had the branding V for Victor. Like, real, literally, it's, it's a big giant V. And even when you look earlier in, like, the tomb area of Marcus and Victor, there's a V on Victor's and there's an M on Marcus's, so we know which one's which. But that's where we kind of get that branding uh, of the werewolves back in the day, or the lichens, I should say. Now, the one thing that I forgot to talk about before we started learning about this thing with Craven is before she started going to the archives, uh, we actually get a scene of Craven himself meeting up with Lucian. Uh, to nobody's surprise, this is one of the antagonists of the film. And that's something I'm going to talk about later, too, because it's such a weird thing. I don't know if I can call them all antagonists, but this is one that uh, it's pretty much... He pretty much is an antagonist of the film. Because uh, he's in line with the uh, werewolves. But he's really only in line with the Lycans because he wants to get 
control of all the vampire houses. And if that's going to cause uh, Lucian to get revenge upon whomever in the vampire coven that he needs to do that on, so be it. Let's fuck everything up. So that kind of shows you what he's been doing that Lucian is actually alive. And it kind of puts that in your head, at least for Celine, how she's kind of putting one and one together. Which, again, I really don't... It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, to be honest with you. That we would see that, and then we would see her all of a sudden going in and looking at the books. Like, why does she need... Why do we need to be told as an audience that we have to, you know... Okay, yeah, he's the bad guy. He's. I mean, it's been pretty fucking obvious, don't you think? Like, he keeps trying to dissuade her from doing that, to going after the Lycans. Why are you wasting your time? You're, I'm setting this up for us. You know, just go along with the plan. That's been his M.O. the entire fucking time. And it'll continue to be the same thing as the movie progresses. I just don't know why we need to see it at this point, that meeting between the two. It would have been a better twist, maybe, if we saw it towards the end of the film, when they do meet up again. Like, if that had happened, I would have been like, sold. I can understand this, why, you know, you're, you're... Letting the audience be smarter than they are, uh, or than you believe them to be, I should say, when you do things like this. And it really kind of is upsetting, uh, especially when it's so goddamn obvious that he's not in it for necessarily the vampires. What Selene also notices, too, inside the books is a pendant that Lucian is wearing in the image of him that's depicted in there. And that flashes back over to when she was looking after he jumped off the car. uh, And she noticed that he was wearing the same pendant on his body. So that's one of the ways that she puts two and two together. Meanwhile, we go back and we see uh, our Michael's friend here. uh, And he, Michael goes to the hospital because he needs help from him. And he also tells him about the visions that he's been having since he's been bit by Lucian. And ever since he bit me, I've been, I've been having these hallucinations. I've been having these delusions. All I know is it feels like my, my skull is, is splitting in half. Okay, so a full-grown man bit you. Jesus. Michael, are you sure this wasn't a dog? I said it was a man. Okay. It was a man. Okay, I got it. He was after me. And that woman, the woman from the subway. What woman? Haven't you been listening to me? She took me All right. hostage. All right. All right. Um, just please. I'm going to help you get this all sorted out. All right? I'll be right back. Let go, Michael. Let go. Just calm down. Okay? I'm going to be back in a minute. That's a promise. All right? All right? Okay, if you don't know what's going on past this point, it's kind of silly, to be honest. Again, you know what he's going to do. He's going to go away. He's going to call the cops. Michael's going to run, go on the run, and where is he going to go? And that's exactly what fucking happens. He goes back. He tells the cops. The cops, who probably aren't real cops, spoiler alert, uh, chase after him. He runs away, and then it cuts back over to Celine because she can't figure out what she's going to do uh, with everything, and she decides, hey, you know what? It's time to wake up Victor. And, of course, 
she's not supposed to be able to do it, as she explains. To my knowledge, an awakening has never been attempted by one such as myself. The elders alone hold the power to organize their memories and thoughts into a single cohesive vision, a detailed record of their reign. I can only hope Victor will hear my plea. So vampires in general, only specific, like I explained before, really only the elders do it. Because the elders pass along their information and their memories of how they ruled and what exactly happened within the world. So (laughs) they know exactly what they've been doing for the clan and they can either continue to do the same stuff or they can modify where they've been going with it. And honestly, it's kind of a neat way of showing how the vampires kind of feed off each other and how the elders rule, which I think is great. Now, Celine, God, God love her, but she seems to be like firsts for every fucking thing that goes on in this fucking film, right? She seems to be the person like no other vampires ever awakened somebody that wasn't an elder and I'm not supposed to be able to do this. But guess what? She done fucked up because she done wake him up. And we keep hearing about how, hey, Marcus is supposed to be the one that's going to be coming up next, right? He's the next one in line, and now you're going to bring Victor into the mix instead? What the hell is going on? Like, you can't do anything with your dear old vamp daddy. It, it is very frustrating to see Celine be like this complete badass vampire when we really don't have a whole lot to go off. Like... She's doing all these first. She's a badass warrior. Okay, we see a little bit of it. She's a death dealer. She's one of the best, supposedly. But we don't really see how. How did she become like that? Like, honestly, if we take Rise of the Lycans, the third film in the franchise, and we actually did it more based around Celine and how she became a vampire, instead, you take out the whole Lycan aspect. But what we really get there is the tale of Lucian, uh, what happened to him before, which they hint at in this movie, we'll get to, but that whole story of how that happened before this went on. So, it's weird, right? Um, and I just don't know why Celine has to be so special when we've never really seen anything special out of her. It just seems like she has a bunch of firsts. One, she's right all the fucking time. Everything that, and but we're also shown that she's right. So with that, I get it because we're shown exactly what she knows, how she knows, and we're she's seeing a couple things on the outside, like we're seeing some of the stuff inside the lab, and we're seeing uh, things with uh, Lucian and the way that you know he's approached a couple things with the the other wolves and stuff like that. But the things that she's bringing to the table, we know to be true, and nobody believes her. So. I can give you a pass on that, but this, this, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I don't know if I can suspend my belief enough to be like, okay, well, nobody's ever tried. Nobody's supposed to be able to do this and wake up another vampire elder unless they were actual elders themselves because they know exactly how to do the process where she doesn't. And there are some consequences to this, uh, and we'll get into them in a second when, when Victor does wake up, um, but... It's there's still nothing wrong with it. Like there's no reason why this has to be this way, and she has to be kind of flawless, to be honest with you. So 
She does pour the blood in. She does almost get caught. Um, but she's able to actually push uh, her memories into Victor. And she also wants forgiveness uh, within those memories specifically. Please forgive me. But I desperately need your guidance. I apologize for breaking the chain and awakening you ahead of schedule, but I fear we may all be in grave danger. Especially you, my lord, if left in your weakened state. For I believe that Lucian is alive and well. Here, now, in this very city, preparing to hit us during the awakening ceremony. Even more disturbing that if I'm correct it would mean that Craven is in league with him so she's basically spilling the beans of what she believes to be right <clears throat> and whether or not we believe it it's gonna have to well not necessarily whether or not we believe it whether or not Victor believes it that's what we're trying to figure out and of course if he supposedly treats her like a daughter as it's been explained kind of by Craven uh, then he should automatically believe her, right? But we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. Craven, uh, oh, before I move on though, the makeup that they used for, uh, Victor, at least before his body comes through, kind of looks like Kane from Legacy of Kane. Uh, definitely more in like the Soul Reaver era, uh, if you know those, that series of games. Uh, it's very close to that, and I thought that was kind of cool, and I was always wondering if it was a nod to it, but I, I doubt it, uh, considering that this is, you know, probably... And then, again, why would they... That's an odd thing to think about with this franchise, is why they never made a video game series out of this. I think this is perfectly ripe to do something within the world and not necessarily being connected to it, but you can stay within the lore. Um, but you got to do it right, because... Usually, movie to games and games to movies never quite work out. So, Craven comes in, and the entire time I'm screaming at him, Hey, if you want to know what's going on, watch the fucking video screens. Because he's not watching any. He sends the guy out there, doesn't do anything. Because he's only really looking after himself, to be completely honest. Uh, and then he goes into the room, and we get the first time that we get to see Craven's oh shit face when somebody wakes up. Look, I warned her. I warned her, but she didn't listen. She never listens. I should have told you sooner. Told me what? Her human, Michael. He's not a human at all. He's a lichen. What? What's this ruckus? Oh, snap. When you look back on Craven's face in that scene, that is the oh, shit, I am fucked face. Uh, and this is when we're introduced into, or to, not into, uh, to Victor, uh, who is played by Bill Nye. Um And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize, but that's the way it looks to me. Uh, and it's kind of cool like i think he's my second favorite character in this film just the way that he acts i always like bill nye whenever he's in whatever film and he's a great character actor and he seems to play a lot of bad guys uh and a lot of kind of supernatural type of bad guys 
but he does shine to me as Victor in this film. He's one of the better pieces of the film. Uh, and now that he's woke up and he's pissed, he's kind of wondering why he's been woken up ahead of schedule. You know why I've been awakened, servant? No, my lord. I'll soon find out. You mean when you find her? Yes, my lord. You must let her come to me. We have much to discuss, Selina and I. She has shown me a great many disturbing things. Things that will be dealt with soon enough. This coven has grown weak, decadent. Perhaps I should have left someone else in charge of my affairs. Please, my lord, let me summon assistance. You're in need of rest. I've rested enough. What you will do is summon Marcus. But he still slumbers, my lord. Amelia and the council members are arriving tomorrow night to awaken Marcus. Not you, my lord. You've been... Awakened a full century ahead of schedule. So, meanwhile, uh, Scott Stapp, he actually arrived back at the mansion. And she took him and she's taken him to, like, a safe place. And, uh, basically, it's it's weird because it's not a safe place per se. It's a place that the wolves necessarily wouldn't go to because it's one of their torture rooms that she's taken him to. Uh, and when she's saying that, you know, the full moon is coming up soon and we need to make sure that you're kind of safe in there, they do have more of a heart to heart type of talk. And uh, Scott, he, or I should say Michael, asked Celine, why do you hate the wolf so much? And we get the backstory of one, how she turned and what she believes happened to her folks when she was very young. Why do you hate them so much? I've already told you we're at war. So you're just following orders? Why can't you just answer the question? Fine. Something was in the stable, tearing our horses to pieces. I couldn't have saved my mother or my sister. Their screams woke me. My father died outside, trying to fend them off. I stood at my door, about to run to my niece's room. spilled into our house. He'd been tracking the lichens for days. He drove them off and saved me. Who? Victor. 
the oldest and strongest of us. That night he made me a vampire. He gave me the strength to avenge my family. Since then I've never looked back. So there is in between these two clips that I'm going to play because we get a parallel story with Scott and his girlfriend and how she passed away and with the parallels we'll talk about it. But there's a weird cutscene in between it where we go see Lucian in that dock talking about basically how well the the search is kind of going and how they need you know more talk about Michael and and they're glad that this is going on and so it's just weird that it kind of breaks from that and then it goes fades to black and then before it comes back you get a long black section uh and they start talking again now it's not weird uh and it's weird because i think that it's a piece of the film that was just kind of plugged in between these i don't remember it being like this when watching it maybe i just kind of blocked out of my mind but it can this could be a part of the director's cut version of the film or the extended cut where they put this in between to kind of break up the two little stories that go on here uh because she does ask she says i've seen pictures i saw the pictures of your house and then scott goes into the story of how his girlfriend or fiance or whoever was passed away i tried to swear him but he hit us anyway he sent us right into the oncoming lane When I came to, I I realized that part of the engine was in the front seat, and she was pinned there, six inches from me, in this horrible position. I think she was in shock. She just kept asking me over and over again if I was all right. She was more worried about me. You know, if I knew then what I know now, I could have saved her. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But instead, she died right there. About two minutes before the ambulance arrived. After that, I didn't see any reason to stick around. I spent a summer here with my grandfather when I was a kid, so... After I got my degree, I just... I took off. I came over here to move on. To forget. That seemed like a good idea at the time. And have you? moved on have you okay and here's where the bullshit part of the movie goes on that did need to be a part of this fucking movie um so we're gonna go into some other things i hate that i don't want to explain certain parts of things because i have it's very well explained at least by characters in the movie why exactly they're after michael and that's going to be coming up very shortly uh but the biggest thing here is that all of a sudden now the two have become attracted to each other. And there really is no reasoning why other than he saved her life, uh, she saved his life, he's going to become a werewolf and she's worried about him. Like, 
you think that they're going to get kiss in this thing, but actually what she does is she chains him to the chair and tells him that he's going to become a werewolf and that uh, he should put a silver bullet in himself to slow down the transformation process. Um, and But they almost kiss because there's some sort of attraction between them that I don't get is actually there because you don't really feel it. Like, again, it's one of those films where it feels like, oh, well, we have to have these two characters fall in love with each other because there always should be a man and a woman that falls in love. And they're like Romeo and Juliet. I mean, look, star-crossed lovers. He's about to be a lichen, and she's a vampire, and you can't have those two together, right? I mean, they don't mix. Uh, And it's just fucking bullshit. And in a film like this, when you have such a strong central female character... And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you, you got to make sure that she fucks some dude, you know, or that she at least loves someone. You know, all she had to do was just uh, be like, okay, well, I'm just trying to save this guy. I have no emotional attachment to him. I really don't give a fuck. Maybe other than he's kind of a cool guy and he's very nice and he's very kind. But I really don't have any sexual attraction to him. But they do that any fucking way because that's the way films need to be, right? So she goes back into the mansion, and there she runs into Craven again because she's being summoned by Victor, and Craven wants her to follow exactly what he has to tell her. How could you do this to me? Embarrass me like this? The entire coven knows that I had plans for us. There is no us. You'll go before Victor and tell him exactly what I tell you to. From here on out, you'll do as I say. Is that in any way unclear? Okay, so at the end of that, she punches him and knocks him to the floor and goes and see Victor. But before I forgot to talk about this, and before we continue on, I want to talk about the parallels between her story and his story. They are different, but the ultimate thing is, is that she's wondering if he's able to move on, and he asks the same question back. Even though the stories don't quite end up well they end up kind of in the same area but they're not similar to what they had because he's kind of just asking well can't you figure out a way to maybe live with the lichens because the ones that did it have been killed but maybe they're different than they were now and then she's kind of like well you know your girlfriend's dead and she's been dead for a long time and maybe you'd be able to move on because that's the whole reason why he's going into the whole medicine industry right is to help that. And that's why she continues to be a death dealer and why she focused so much on being a warrior because she wants to avenge the family that she lost a long-ass time ago. I, I guess, you know, there's... Like I said, there's parallels between the story, but it's just a little weird to kind of con- compare and contrast these two stories and come to a very similar conclusion, even though I just don't think they mesh very well. Um... But I I can understand why they did something like this. So, also I should say in there, um, this is so weird. Uh, Within those conversations too, we get the other thing, and this is something that I want to talk about before uh, as well, before we went into the next little audio piece. Uh, But there is a random vampire sex scene in this movie. And it's between Blondie and... Uh, Craven, and it's not really a complete sex scene. Uh, it's more or less like 
honestly, it's like he pulls her aside because he realizes he can use her for his own gain because she's really into him, right? So she'll do whatever he wants her to do. So he goes in there and says, I've got something very important to tell you. And then she comes over and she's like, oh, wait, first I want to show you my boobs. And then he's like, fuck, boobs. I forgot about those. And then he goes to town. Like, and they start, like, making out, and she's topless, and it's all well hidden, so you don't see any boob, or you see a little bit of side boob, but you don't really see any boob boob, uh, which is kind of, kind of sucks, because even from the side boob, she looks like she has very nice boobs, like, I'd like to actually see the whole thing, uh, but it's, like, it's so goddamn fast, it's ridiculous, uh, that she's, She's doing that, and then when Celine shows up, she they're still going at it, and then he drops her like a fucking hot potato, and you get perfectly angled, uh, <clears throat> like furniture blocking the boobs, and it's relatively funny. But remember, before I talked about Kate Beckinsale and the director, and that they're in a relationship, and in this movie, there is no sex scene between Michael and Celine. That actually happens in the second film. And everything in the second film, it's weirdly blocked as well. And he was even said to say that it was a little awkward for him to do that, to direct his wife in a sex scene, which I can completely understand. But that's probably also something that happened here. Like, he didn't do it here because God knows what. Like, at least that might have spiced up the chemistry between these two characters. Because to believe that they're actually falling in love or that they're really attracted to each other, they both look like they're just fucking bored and just like, okay, well, this is what we're supposed to fucking do. Uh, I'm now a lichen. You're a vampire. You're cute and you're bondage stuff. And I look pretty good shirtless, right? Or at least underneath this, uh, you know, black like tee. Uh, I got Ripley muscles and shit. You probably like this shit. Let's get together and let's do it. Let's just fucking do it. And then they don't. Which, you know, honestly is okay. I can deal without people having sex in a movie. Uh, but I think that was partially done because of that relationship there. Like, he didn't want that necessarily to happen. And so he's like, what can I do? Well, I can get Blondie here. She can go ahead and take off her top. And even though I've got an R rating on this fucking movie... I can't show her boobs. What? How is this movie rated R? Other than one scene that I can think about. And maybe for 2003, that scene was a little too much. I mean, there's barely any blood. There's barely any... I mean, when the, people get shot, they... It's, with the ultraviolet, they fucking disintegrate themselves. And then with the uh, introduction of the bullets that have the uh, silver nitrate in it... It leaks out silver nitrate. There's there's no reason for this movie to be an R. Uh, maybe except for some of the language. They say some bad words every once in a while. You know, but I thought that was actually filling their quota. Like, honestly, today, this movie would be PG-13. With the way they do stuff. They can show the one thing that happens towards the end of the movie. Uh, and uh, they can show the gunshot wounds. And they shoot guns and nobody gets fucking... Everybody just falls down. It's not fucking bloody. It's nothing weird. Even when they go off and they... T- There's one other scene where you see, like, pieces of people. But it's not anything terrible. You don't see what's happened before. You just see that it's down there. It's really fucking strange. And it honestly, again, makes no fucking sense. So show me a fucking boob. You can just show me one. 
one. You can just and you can just give me a peek. Just a, meh, meh, there you go. There's one boob. You you still have an R rating for some reason. You got an arm. Might as well just fucking flaunt it out. And I understand you don't want to show your wife. Um, I get it. But at the same time, if you're gonna have some people have sex, let them have sex. Show it. So again, Celine comes in. Uh, Craven tries to convince her. Uh, like in the clip that we played a little while ago, sorry about that. Uh, but tries to tell her that, you know, he, she's going to follow exactly what he has to say to the T to where she punches him. And then she goes and she talks with Victor. Uh, now this is a very long conversation between the two, but I feel it's very important, especially with the outcome of the conversation, uh, and the decisions that Victor has to make. Been lost without you, my Lord. Constantly hounded by Craven and his never-ending infatuation. It is the oldest story in the book. He desires the one thing he cannot have. (laughs) Now, tell me. Why have you come to believe that Lucian still lives? Yeah. But I've given you all the proof you need incoherent thoughts and images, nothing more. Which is precisely why the awakening is performed by an elder. You do not possess the necessary skills. But I did see Lucian. I shot him. You must believe me. The chain has never been broken. Not once. Not in 14 centuries. Not since we elders first began to leapfrog through time. One awake, two asleep. That's the way of it. It is Marcus's turn to reign, not mine. It's been a little complication. But I had no choice. The coven is in danger and Michael is the... of leniency when Amelia arrives the council will convene and decide your fate you have broken the chain and the covenant you must be judged so ultimately he doesn't quite believe her because she doesn't have any type of proof that basically proves that her visions are true which is weird um considering that we as an audience know that everything that she's done is true up until this point and she's not really a liar because she's seen everything but he won't believe her because he believes that she's been tainted by somebody else especially since he's already found out that michael himself has been bitten by lucian or at least by a werewolf and is going to become one so Celine gets kind of locked up in the mansion. We go to see some scenes of Scott Stapp over there, and he's slowly starting to change 
but he's able to kind of control it uh, for the time being. He also tries to free himself from the room. Uh, back at the mansion, Blondie, she decides to turn off the power. And originally, I thought it was to do something else, but really it's just to get Celine out of there so she goes direct to Michael. Now, the Lycans themselves, they were gearing up to attack and, and attack the manor. But they see that she's running away, so they know that Michael is not actually at the mansion. He's somewhere else. So Celine rushes to Michael to see if she can get him, but the two cops from earlier, they actually are able to capture him, and they take him away. He starts to transform when he sees the moon in the back of their car, and at this moment, I thought, wait, that was two days away, and then all of a sudden, so we've gone through a whole day, and I realized that we've been watching this movie entirely at night, so there's two things that possibly could be going on, because either... And I don't know, either vampires can survive during the daylight in this film, or this city is in perpetual night. Like, we never see daylight. Or they say two days, but really it's today. Maybe they meant to say, well, there's today, not two days. Today, there's going to be a full moon. And why hasn't he seen it already? Like, time frames are so completely baffling in this film. You don't know what where one day ends, one where another day begins. All we know is that she hangs out in the mansion. She slept for a while on one day and then woke up to save Michael and bring him back to the mansion. And then, you know, she goes and locks him up. And oh, in two days. So he's been there for a day and she's been locked in the house for a day. Maybe why a cycle happened. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, they don't really explain it, and they just don't have any type of concept of time with this fucking film. So, he he gets captured. They are able to stop him from transforming, and he gets put in there uh, with everybody in the lab uh, where Lucian's at. Uh, she comes out. Uh, she goes and, you know, goes after them as well. Uh, but he... Uh, back at the mansion, Victor, he calls upon Craven to kind of explain what the hell is going on when he really wants Celine, though, after she's escaped. My lord? I sent for Celine, not you. She's defied your orders fled the mansion, my lord. Your incompetence is becoming most taxing. It's not my fault. She's become obsessed. Thinks that I'm at the core of some ridiculous conspiracy. And here's my proof. (laughs) And here's the second oh shit moment of this movie for Craven, Because that that she's throwing on the ground in front of Victor is the doctor that's been working with Lucian this entire time. Uh, We cut over to Amelia and her crew, and this is one of the first times that we see them. Uh, Originally, the guy that makes all the weapons, uh, he was the one that was going to, with his crew, go protect Amelia. But Craven said, no, we're sending somebody else. And then it happened that he sent absolutely nobody, so they all of a sudden start getting wiped out by all the lichens. And uh, we see Amelia... Uh, she's basically going to be picked up or at least going to be slaughtered. The costumes that they actually use for her and her crew are 
fucking beautiful. Like the choker that she has on, she doesn't get any lines, which kinds of sucks. Uh, but the, that choker that she has wearing is gorgeous. I mean, I know that's weird for me to point out, especially this, but it's so big and it's so well done. And, and I have to give it to the rest of it. The costuming in this film is really well done in general. Oh, and the other thing I forgot to talk about for a second uh, that I thought was really hilarious was when they were the cops were taking Michael away and he started to transform. Like, they cranked up the radio so that the faux rock music started playing and, like, while he was doing his transformation, like, oh, he's starting to gotta crank up the tunes, bro, and get that going, yeah! You know, and then he's transforming into it and then they subdue him. Um, and this actually brings me to the other complaint, that uh, the biggest complaint that I have with this film, uh, is that... I remember when I talked about the reason that I saw this film is because the soundtrack kicks so much ass. Like, there's so many good songs on there. Um, you know how many they use in this film? How many songs from that soundtrack? I'll let you think about it for a second. Um, I counted three. Three songs that weren't instrumentals uh, in this film. Uh, they do use the, the intro music, uh, it's called Falling the Sky or some Falling Through the Sky. Uh, then there's Down in the Lab where you hear it when they're in the lab and there's another one I forgot, which are more like electronic instrumentals and they use those in various points in the film. So technically they're on the soundtrack. You could say, okay, that's three, three songs, uh, Rocket Collecting collecting i cannot speak right now that is only used uh it's the instrumental portion of it it's only used in one of the scenes uh one of the scenes with lucian right after he is shown that he's gotten the blood of michael they use the weird judith remix uh from a perfect circle so that's five so far and there's one more song that I cannot remember. But during like this scene and even the ending credits, they don't use any of the music from the soundtrack in the actual film. And the film, the, the soundtrack says original motion picture soundtrack. It's not like songs inspired by the movie. I get it when there's one of those and they don't really use anything. But I remember going into the theater and thinking, man, I can't wait to hear where they use this. Oh, where are they going to use that Dillinger escape song? Um, where are they going to use that, the, the Pussifer song? When are they going to, where is that going to be used? Oh my God. And then nothing. It's a big fucking disappointment. I mean, at least I don't want to go back to the crow, but the crow fucking used almost every one of those songs or used a lot of those songs, uh, throughout the film. Fuck. Even the Godzilla movie, Godzilla from 1998 that used a lot of the damn songs in the movie. I mean, the Puff Daddy song was like your ending song. Even here, you'll hear it later. That's not a song from the fucking soundtrack. I don't know why they had to use this generic rock fucking music to do these portions of it. It makes no fucking sense. So, uh, before we go into this next set of clips, uh, and it is clips, uh, I want to say that I broke this down into a couple of parts because it's really important... This gives you exactly why the werewolves... And we're going to break down each part when we play them. Uh, but if I had played it as one long clip, clip it would have been like a four-minute clip. So uh, I apologize in advance that I had to use such a long clip. 
but I feel that it gives the most pertinent information for the film. I mean, this answers one of those big questions that I've had. Why is Michael himself so goddamn important to the Lycans? So uh, she kidnaps, like I said, Celine kidnaps the doc, and he's the one that lets the cat out of the bag. Now I want you to tell them exactly what you told me. All right, all right. We've been searching for someone with a special trait. A direct descendant of Alexander Corvinus, Hungarian, a warlord who came to power in the early seasons of the 5th century. Just in time to watch a plague ravage his village. He alone survived. Somehow, his body was able to change the disease, mold it to his benefit. He became the first true immortal. And years later, he fathered at least two children who inherited this same trait. The sons of the Corvinus clan. One bitten by bat, one by wolf, one to walk the lonely road of mortality as a human. It's a ridiculous legend. Nothing. That may be species do have in common ancestor and the mutation of the original virus is directly linked to his bloodline there is a descendant of Corvinus lying there not three feet from you so this is what we get out of this scene we have Victor and he's talking or at least listening to what this doc is saying right and the reason that they're trying to find Michael is because he's a direct descendant of the Corvinus line. And we're going to hear that in just a moment. Uh, but th- for the lore of this world, vampires, werewolves, and then the humans that created the blood, had the bloodline were created from one man. He had three sons. They originally thought there were only two, at least within the lore, right? Vampires that are already vampires. They're bitten by the bat. And then lichens, which were bitten by the wolf. And then there was the human that was able to carry both bloods within it. Now, he's going to go a little more into that explanation, give you a little more lore as we continue the scene. Yes. But he's already a vampire. We needed a pure source. Untainted. An exact duplicate of the original virus which we learned was hidden away in the genetic code of his human descendants and passed along in its latent form down through the ages all the way to Michael Corvin. For years, we tried to combine their bloodlines And for years we failed. It was useless. 
Even at the cellular level, our species seem destined to destroy each other. That is... until we found Michael. The Corvino strain... allows for a perfect union. A triple-celled platelet. Which holds... Unspeakable power. There can be no such union. And to speak of it is heresy. We'll see. Once Lucian has ejected himself with Michael's blood, Lucian is dead. According to whom? So that fades to the back of the room where we see that Craven has got the fuck out of there. And he's already on the run going towards Lucian. This is where I was saying before, I wish we would have this twist maybe here. Instead of having meat with Lucian earlier on. If you only learned it from this little section, then I would have been like, okay, that's kind of cool. Because now everything's kind of confirmed at this point. Because he's just on the fucking run at, at when he's basically called out, right? Uh, also, we see that the third can manipulate the bloodlines of both vampires and lichens, uh, to be cohesive with each other. Because right now, basically what they showed you is that if a vampire tries to put his blood into a lichen or a lichen tries to put his blood into a vampire, that it kills them. And that brings up the point again, why do they use fucking guns? Why aren't they using, like, I don't know, fucking blood weapons like they just have something fucking loaded up with vampire blood or or lichen blood and just fart fucking stabbing them with the fucking needles all the whole time i mean you could probably run the world out of its supply of hypodermic needles you know and that might be a good thing too at the same time because you're just using them for war you're not using them to shoot yourself up uh you know and in a pinch you know you can have them in holsters like they were guns and you can just just like bring them out stab yourself with the blood Jump on the lichen and fucking inject your blood into it and you kill him. Because even at one point, Celine even says that if you try to, you know, what happens if you try to turn me, I'd kill you. But she doesn't know that Michael's, you know, he's along the line of the Corvinus clan and he's able to actually have the two bloods exist within his system as one person, which creates something that's much stronger than vampires or lichens as we're being led to believe so they they call out for corvin victor basically sucks up to celine says i'm very sorry i can't believe i didn't believe you to which the doctor he finishes up uh with his laughter if lucian was able to get his hands on the blood of a pureborn a powerful elder like uh, amelia yourself and inject it along with Michael's blood abomination half vampire half lichen stronger than both and it's at that point that Victor fucking sucker punches him in the face and kills the shit out of him I mean he literally punches him it looks like half of his face comes off and then he's left in the room with, in a giant pool of his own blood. Which, you know, I hope won't come back at some point in the movie. Ugh. 
So from there, we cut over and we go back to the lab and we see that Michael is sitting there with Lucian and he gets himself a little more information of what's gone on because he's still seeing the visions there and he realizes that he's seeing the visions of Lucian and he tries to understand exactly what he's seeing. They forced you to watch her die. Sonia. That's what started the war. I saw it happen as if I were there. We were slaves once. The daylight guardians of the vampires. I was born in servitude. Yet I harbored them no ill will. Even took a vampire for my bride. It was forbidden. Our union. Victor feared a blending of the species. Feared it so much. He killed her. His own daughter. Burnt alive. loving me so now we kind of understand what's going on in those visions we see some that's been chained up we see said there there's light coming down and that the woman fries to death he's been whipped in some of those uh well as in a wolf form uh he's being whipped by somebody and he's basically being made to watch like michael said uh his beloved to die and when you look back at the film franchise uh, the third one is that story, is the story of Sonia and Lucian uh, and how they came to love each other and how they tried to get away from the whole thing. But ultimately, as Sonia was Victor's daughter, he was he ultimately had to kill her because she was pregnant with his child. And that gets explained in a little bit more in just a little bit. But you kind of get that whole story, except the pregnancy thing. Uh, up until this point. And I'm not trying to spoil anything. It's just, again, it's part of the lore of the whole series. Um, so, again, that's very interesting. Like, th- I like that. I like that whole thing that you can't trust everybody because you don't know exactly who's created the correct lore and who's created the incorrect lore, right? Uh, you just have one person's side versus the other person's side. And the vampires want to try to make themselves look like they're the better people, which at some point they might have been. But the Lycans themselves, they used to work with the vampires. They used to be basically their army, right? Uh, Until that happened and uh, fucked everything all up. And then the Lycans revolted and created their own sect. Uh, Again, some of this lore kind of changes a little bit. This part of it stays the same, but other things seem to change in later films. Uh, once he's gotten the blood out of him, uh, guess who decides to show up? It's Craven. Now, Craven himself, he's basically trying to weasel himself out and trying to figure out, okay, how can I get this and how can I get this done? Now, the victor's awake. I just don't know what's going on. And like uh, Lucian, I should say, basically uh, tries to get him to lighten up. The council has been destroyed. Soon you will have it all. Both great covens and an ironclad peace treaty with the Lycans. 
who I trust will not be forgotten when the spoils are tabulated. How do you expect me to assume control now that Victor's been awakened? There's no defeating him. He goes stronger as we speak. And that is precisely why I need Michael. If Victor was so easy to dispatch, you'd have done it yourself centuries ago. Okay, then at this point, this is where a lot of the action for the rest of it takes place. We get to Celine. She's coming upon the, the compound. Uh, they basically, part of the people, what it seems like that part of the people that came with Craven knew that Craven kind of was the bad guy and turns on him. Uh, Craven shoots Lucian with the uh, bullets that have the silver nitrate in it, and he kind of falls down. And I'm like, oh my god, did he go out like a bitch? I really hope not. Uh, but we'll find out more about him later. Uh, again, it's unlimited ammo. The whole thing with changing magazines and clips in the beginning of the film, it doesn't take place here. Everybody just keeps fucking shooting everything constantly. It's really fucking annoying. Like, at least don't do, don't show me in the front beginning of the film that you're going to do this. And then later on in the film, you totally forget and don't fucking do it. And you just turn on the limited ammo cheat code and go to fucking town. There is a scene with a dude with a silver whip and he's fighting against Ving Rhames light after he's turned to a vampire. It's interesting. It kind of reminds me of uh, Iron Man 2 with Whiplash, the way that um, Mickey Rourke was throwing those whips around. It's kind of similar to that. Uh, and he's uh, he's just more interested in showing off the skills he can do with the whip because he eventually gets the whip caught somewhere and then the lichen bites his face off. That's what I assumed happened. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea. We find out that Lucian actually is not dead yet. He's still able to move around. Uh, and then we get, uh, you know, Celine versus uh, Ving Rhames Jr. as a werewolf. Um, that's what it seems like, but of course she gets the upper hand and then she's able to find Michael and they're able to get back together. And, you know, he says, you're risking your life for rescuing me. And she's like, I know it's cause I love you. Well, she doesn't say that specifically, but it's kind of implied and you know, they kiss and then all of a sudden here comes, uh, Craven and Craven puts a bunch of bullets of the silver nitrate kind into Scott Stapp, uh, and he goes down hard. No, he's not going to be taking anybody higher anywhere else now. Um, and uh, you know, and then he decides that you know he needs to get Selene on his side, so he's going to tell her the truth about Victor. That's enough. You're coming with me. I hope I live long enough to see Victor choke the life from you. As you do. But let me tell you a little something about your beloved dark father. He's the one who killed your family, not the Lycans. Never could follow his own rules. Said he couldn't abide the taste of livestock. So every once in a while he not engorged himself on human blood. I kept the secrets, cleaned up the mess. But it was he who crept room to room dispatching everyone close to your heart but when he got to you he just couldn't bear the thought of draining you dry you who reminded him so much of his precious Sonia the daughter he condemned to death lies believe what you want 
come on. Your place is by my side. So be it. So before I tell you what exactly happens at this moment in the film, when Lucian was found out to be alive again, Ving Rhames' light came in, and he actually dropped all the blood that he had from Amelia. And at that point, I don't know why, because Lucian had stabbed himself with uh, Michael's blood and put Michael's blood in his body. And, And supposedly all he needed to do was take the blood of Amelia and stick it in his body, and boom, super fucking vamp like and thing. But he doesn't do it. So it's weird when this part comes up, and maybe it's because he's still got a bunch of the silver in his body, and maybe he realizes that maybe it won't work, but they don't really tell you that or show you that. But when Craven goes to try to shoot them, uh, he fucking comes in with like a sword and stabs him in the back of the leg and causes him to uh, not kill him because, you know, he's in the right here. At this point, more of the the vampires, including Victor, come in. Victor beats the shit out of a couple of the, uh, you know, he goes all fucking, like, super beast time. uh, And fucking goes and kills a a couple of the the other lichens that are around there. And eventually he gets to the room. uh, But before, when Craven runs away and, you know, Selene is crying over the fact that Michael is dying... Lucian tells him, hey, you need to bite him, and you need to bite him good, because that's going to save his life, and she does, she does read down and bite him, but then Victor comes in, and he's like, oh, why did you do that, now I need to go in there, uh, and he throws Michael through a wall, now, he has a conversation with Celine, where he explains basically everything that she thinks is, you know, she wants to find out if all that stuff is true, and he does confirm with her that he does it. Now, I took that, and what I did was it's going to be a little bit jumpy because there's transformation scenes in the middle of it because Michael starts to turn into the vamp werewolf thing, the vamp lichen or lichen vamp or whatever you want, the lamp. Uh, and uh, I really felt like you don't need to have those because it makes this a lot longer than it is. So there might be a little bit of a jarring cut in there, but it's just to give you an idea of that conversation between Celine and Victor. Forgive me, my child. It wasn't the Lycans. It was you. Leave us. How could you bear my trust, knowing that you'd killed my family? Yes. I have taken from him. But I have given so much more. Is it not a fair trade, the life I have granted you, the the gift of immortality? And the life of your daughter? Your own flesh and blood? I loved my daughter. But the abomination growing in her womb was a betrayal of me and of the covenant. I did what was necessary to protect the species, as I am forced to do yet again. Okay, so there's a couple things here that got added to the lore of the world and what these vampires can can do. These vampires can get pregnant, and they can get pregnant by werewolves. 
And that's the reason why the daughter was killed, right? So, so the vampires themselves, why do they need to turn anybody when they can just knock each other up? Or can the male vampires, like their sperm does not work with female vampires, pardon me. I don't really know. All I know is that we get a pretty kick-ass fight scene in the next scene. Where Michael has now become a lamp and he's fighting and going toe-to-toe with Victor. Who's supposed to be the strongest out of all the vampires that are within their coven or out of all the vampires, period. Though we don't know much about Marcus because he's still sound asleep. He could be pretty powerful too, but we don't see him in this film. Uh, So they go toe-to-toe. Uh, Marcus, uh, you know, not Marcus, I'm sorry, Michael, he's able to stand with him. Uh, he kind of gets an underhanded, uh, thing, but Celine realizes, hey, I need to come in and, and with the help of Michael, uh, she jumps in the air and slices at Victor. Victor turns around, pulls out his swords. And then the reason maybe why this film got a rated R uh, you see Victor's head like slice and fall off, and you see it's it's kind of a shitty effect to be honest with you, because there's really no blood. You see like half of his brain, but it looks really flat. I mean, I understand it's 2003 and it's not gonna be as detailed, but honestly, if that's the gory scene that's gonna get you rated R, it's not even fucking gory. So I don't know. It's kind of just a waste of time. And the the only thing that... There are two things out of this scene. One, this fight scene is very long. And it just takes way too long to get to its conclusion. And then, uh, two, you know, how... If he's supposed to be so powerful and whatever, how is she able to get the upper hand on him that fast? Uh, maybe he's still pretty weak from everything and that's how she was able to kill him? Uh, because she's like fucking super vampire, man. I'm... She can do everything. She can bring elders back when she's not supposed to be able to. Uh, she can turn uh, lichens, or at least one lichen, into a lamp. Uh, and then she's able to kill her vamp daddy uh, without much struggle. I mean, she really doesn't do a whole lot because this is also when Michael goes from being the damsel in distress to being the ass kicker uh, himself. And then when he gains the powers of being both a very shitty looking werewolf vampire hybrid well i should say (laughs) he's half human half vampire half werewolf uh he's a lamp human uh i don't know it looks really shitty and it really doesn't doesn't add a whole lot to the film other than this is what they were working towards right this is what the lichens are working towards but it turns out no they're just gonna be on the run so the uh, the last thing that we see is we go back over to the mansion and we get a voiceover from Celine. And I'm going to play the voiceover in the ending credits. But what you see is the doctor, his blood is flowing down and it flows into Marcus's. Uh, remember I said, I hope that doesn't come back. But it floats into Marcus's little casket cave thing or whatever is chirostasis. What are the fuck he's in? And it brings him back and it awakens him because it's the day of the awakening now. Uh, And what I don't understand is whether or not Doctor is a lichen. I assume that he is, but there's nothing to tell me that he was or that he wasn't. So, for the sake of this film, he is. So, with that, with that imagery, we get the following final statements from the film and the generic butt rock ending. 
Though I cannot predict the future, the consequences of this night will reverberate through the halls of both great covens for many years to come. Two vampire elders have been slain, one by my own hand. Soon, Marcus will take the throne, and a tide of anger and retribution will spill out into the night. Differences will be set aside, allegiances will be made, and soon, I will become the hunted. So that was Underworld. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I think I'm now leaning more towards I just don't like this film. I mean, I, I kind of was, again, just in the decent category. Like I've said before, the, the lore of this film, I think, is really interesting. The execution, not so much. I wish, especially Evolution, left such a bad taste in my mouth that I never want to see any other other movies ever again. Like I don't I don't care. I can see them on the TV. I'm like, oh, maybe I can learn a little more. No, I'll just go read about it instead. Let me go on Wikipedia. Somebody's put the plot summary up. Let me look at the plot summary. And I forgot about things about evolution that changed some things here. Like Marcus is actually, you know, he they say in here that he's the brother, but he actually turns Victor right and then you actually run into their fucking father who still happens to be fucking alive because i guess he's an immortal but he birthed a human child uh who carried mortality with him for the rest of his well rest of his lineage i should say i say rest of his life but lineage is more where it's going right uh and they just seem to change a couple of things they talked about in this film uh you know in that one you get to meet the other brother that was the werewolf and you know you get to see them fight and then you get the sex scene between scott uh scott stapp and kate beckinsale that you didn't get in this film and you get more of that stupid transformation and it's just uh, it's just crappy i mean this one it has some redeeming merits the second one not necessarily i don't know about the third i don't know about the fourth and the fifth one just fucking came out a little while ago from the recording of this podcast so do i recommend this movie if you i'm in middle ground here because again it's not there are good things to it like the action is pretty decent you know there's some really good scenes really silly stuff but in general, you can enjoy that stuff. I, I kind of like the fight between um, Victor and Michael. That's not a bad fight scene. Um, some of the stuff that Celine does, some of it's laughable, some of it's badass, and I enjoy that very much. I wish there was some more one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat between Celine and maybe a couple of Lycans. It'd be kind of neat, kind of cool. Um, there really isn't any gore to speak of in this film, and I don't know why this film is rated R, unless it's just something about 2003 that would have gotten that, because I'm pretty sure, unless you go more into it, this would have been a PG-13 movie nowadays. I mean, again, the only thing that you really get on it 
is uh, Victor's head being chopped off at the end of the movie, and you get a couple body parts when you're in the bottom of the lichen layer. But that's it. It's Oh, and then the, the little thing sticking out of the guy's chest when he gets him pulled out. There's a little blood in the water. And they're taking blood, and they bit him, and he's got some bloody arm thing. Like, I think some of the Twilight movies might have more fucking violence than this. I, I definitely think the last one does. And I think that one's rated PG-13, uh, where they're ripping off heads and shit. It's mind-boggling. Like this doesn't need to be that. So the gore in this, it gets a two out of five just for that scene and a couple of things here and there. But I wish maybe they could have done a little more and maybe try to push a harder R on it. Maybe I would have been a little more into it. Uh, you know, or just you don't need to have that scene between Craven and Blondie. You don't see anything and it's fucking pointless. So you can take that out of there and you probably would have had a PG-13 film. If that was a part of the original cut, because I haven't seen this movie in so long. And like I said, this is an extended cut. I just don't know. Uh, Crap Factor, it's a 4 out of 5. Some of the acting is really stiff. Craven's acting is really stiff. I like Bill Nye. I like uh, not Martin Sheen, but Michael Sheen. Uh, both of their characters, but the dialogue is pretty shitty. Kate Beckinsale's bored most of the fucking movie. Even when she's trying to show emotion with Michael dying, she's still like, oh, he's dying. Uh... Scott Stapp can't fucking act either. Uh, And the fact that he's billed second in this movie compared to everybody else. Honestly, Michael Sheen should have been second billed in this movie because he spends more of the time in frame than Michael fucking does. Uh, or Scott Stapp, I should say. Uh, and uh, so uh, the the fun factor in this f- film, it's a three out of five. Uh, I'd given a little bit of a higher scoring, but thinking about it, kind of going through it, it's still, like I said, the action is fun, but the rest of the stuff kind of isn't. The lore is kind of fun, but the way that they introduce stuff, it just seems like it's so late. They could do stuff. This was two two hours and ten minutes, uh, I think, with credits. And it could have been shortened down to an hour and a half. You could have gotten rid of some of the stuff, still dead some of your disposition, uh, and gone with it. Like I said, and like I've been saying, the lore is cool, but the rest of the execution is pretty shitty. So overall, um, I'm going to give this two and a half out of five. It's not as bad as I remembered. Uh, back in then, I probably would have given like a two or maybe a one and a half. Uh, but I just can't reach myself to give it a three. I just, there's something about it. There's something that just still irks me and bugs me from the way that they do with, you know, the guns and the ammunition where they try to make it realistic in the beginning. And then it just comes like arcade, uh, towards the end of it. Um, just some of the dialogue, some of the way the acting is, it's just, and how there isn't a true antagonist to this movie and you could argue with me and say okay well it's lucian and craven right but then we get introduced to victor and victor we find out is kind of an antagonist because he killed her whole family and he's just trying to do this so he maintains the vampire way of life and the vampire way of life isn't necessarily the right way a nice hybrid between them lucian really only started the war because he fell in love with his daughter and they fucking didn't want that to happen you know, maybe they could have just gone off and everything would have been fine and they wouldn't... They, the vampires just wanted to be the strongest race out there. And that was something that was hindering them. And so I don't really view, view Lucian as an antagonist for this movie. He's just... 
he's more of a love long almost a protagonist that's just wanting to get his revenge right it's like a nigo mantoya in princess bride that's the way i say lucian right uh, it's not the way that i i don't think he's a bad guy uh and i really don't think the lichens are bad guys but they do change things in the future where the lichens basically become the evil characters of the whole thing even though they're bad vampires but the lichens are still the biggest threat out of everything which is kind of fucking bullshit if you ask me uh then you've got uh craven craven is probably your only true antagonist but then he is fucking retarded uh sorry for using that word but all he wants is to have the aristotic uh or aristocratic i'm sorry uh aristocratic lifestyle that being in charge of everybody and being the head vampire would allow him to because he's been in charge of at least their coven for the time being but amelia who don't even know is supposedly in charge of all the vampires doesn't know what the fuck he's doing i mean so it's dumb it's really just dumb seriously dumb uh and he's the one that kind of causes the mess between everybody and then like i said with victor you find out that he's you know he's killed her family and so to Celine, he's an antagonist he becomes one he was a father figure now he's a monster uh and he, that's the reason that she ends up going on the run because she manages to kill him because he goes out like a punk bitch so i don't know who you can call the true bad guy of this film and honestly if i have to think about it craven kind of gets that uh title for this and that kind of sucks because there's it would be nice to have one true villain uh for this film and maybe for this franchise the second one does kind of get that right because marcus is truly the villain but he's also kind of insane so there's you know when you go through that you you have to i guess kind of address it that way so overall uh i would you know think that uh, if you're interested in the film in terms of that lore aspect, go ahead and watch this one. I, I don't know if I'd continue on after this. If you really like this, maybe you do. And maybe uh, you decide that, hey, this is the way that uh, I'm okay with it dumbing down a little bit uh, after the first film. Uh, and, and you continue on. But for me, I'll stop here. Uh, so... Let's talk about the next film. Now, for the next movie that we're going to watch, uh, it is available completely free on YouTube. You can find it. Uh, it's a little difficult to find out there, but um, we <laughs> the Twitter account hit 500 followers. So uh, somebody uh, got to pick the movie, and it's happening to be the next one. So... Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to probably fuck up the name here, but Rishtar Ovartin, you were follower number 500. So thanks to you, I get to watch this piece of shit. This isn't good. Maybe we took a wrong turn. There weren't any turns. Why would he set us up a dead-end road? Maybe he didn't expect to see us again. So, it begins. 
Just when I thought things couldn't get any worse. How much other water do we have? I told you not to go Just to let you know, this film was made by an Emmy winner, uh, and it is pretty fucking horrible. I've seen this movie before. Um, it is called 666 The Demon Child. It is, like I said, available on YouTube for free. Uh, so if you want to watch it before, this is one of those more obscure type of crappy horror movies, and this literally is a piece of shit. I mean, if you wanted to know what this movie was like, go watch Dogma and go look at the shit demon that's in that, and that's this movie. So, uh, I thank you guys again for listening to the podcast. Uh, look for that restart. You're an asshole for making me watch that movie again. Uh, but it's something that we talked about, uh, before. Uh, and, uh, we are closing in as of this episode on 600 followers on Twitter, which you can follow at T underscore T underscore podcast. If there's a movie you'd like me to watch, give me a follow. If you're number 600, uh, then you will be able to pick the movie that I will have to watch for, whatever episode that's going to be um also within the uh next couple of days uh i'm probably going to do a little bit of announcement on on twitter or on facebook and check it out as of this episode as being recorded um i had put out a question asking everybody hey i want to do a stephen king month and what stephen king movies should i watch and review uh i had a lot of fucking responses from that uh, which was crazy because everybody has something to love for Stephen King. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually compile those into a poll or list or somewhere. And I'm going to try to put it out and try to get everybody pointed to the same place so that everybody can put their suggestions down there from the movies that I'm going to pick. I'm probably going to pick eight and then I'm going to whittle that down to four. Um, and just like Halloween this year, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but I decide I'm going to do it. Um, Beginning uh, the first week of March, it is going to be Stephen King month for 2017 for this podcast. And there will be four Stephen King movies. Now, there may be a discussion in between there. There may be something a little different that's maybe not completely Stephen King. 
uh, or focusing on a movie. Uh, there's two movies that I know are going to be guaranteed, so I might take those off the table and maybe just do a poll for the last uh, two movies with six films. So I will tell you that I will be doing Maximum Overdrive because uh, that was suggested by almost everybody. Uh, and then personally, I'm going to do Sleepwalkers because as a kid, that was one of my personal favorite fucking Stephen King movies, and it is really terrible. I mean, how can you get better than incestual cat monsters. You really can't. So uh, look out for that and uh, give your opinion. Uh, I'll have it up the poll longer than normal polls that I put up uh, and so that everybody can get their, their words in and tell me, hey, I think these are the movies that you should look at out of the listing of movies. I'm going to try to compile everything together. So for this year, for March, uh, you're going to get four Stephen King films. I don't know what I'm going to start the month with, but you'll find out at the end of 666, The Demon Child. Uh, Also, um, I do have two suggestions. I have a suggestion from another uh, listener. Uh, that went through the Facebook page um, and give you some time in the future. I am planning on doing, this is hilarious, a Roddy Roddy Piper month. Um, we actually went through a couple different films, so I have to pick. I think I'm going to, I'm definitely his choice um, for the one that he suggested to me. Uh, that is definitely going to be a film, which is Hell Comes to Frogtown. The other one, I don't know if I go with just something classic that's fun, like They Live, or I look for something that's a little more obscure and do that but uh, I'll, I'll decide but that's going to be coming a little bit later uh after the Stephen king month not necessarily the the next month but sometime around that time maybe not april but maybe may uh so look out for those um but again uh, i appreciate everybody that listens uh please make sure to follow me on twitter please make sure to go like the facebook page which is terrible terror podcast uh facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast uh, and check out, uh, we even have a Google Plus page as well. If you want to go there, I don't know why you'd want to. Uh, and uh, you can check out the Terrible Terror podcast mini reviews available on YouTube under my username, Toolbird. Uh, and you can check out a couple of those. There's one for Maggie, there's one for Helen Back. Uh, there are the top five Bride of Chucky kills. Uh, their top ten or top five Jason X kills, uh, and then I I don't know why they keep blocking me, but my killer clown stuff is still blocked. So, uh, and uh, you can also email me at terribleterrorpodcast at gmail dot com if you have any suggestions. And not to make this episode any longer, but what I want to do because uh, I rarely do it, and I really feel you should listen to this. I'm gonna play you my favorite song off of the. Uh, soundtrack for underworld and uh it's so hard to pick a favorite song off of this album for me there's a lot of like i said really good ones in my opinion but i'm gonna have to go with two of my favorite things mixed together and that's david bowie with maynard james keenan and this is uh bring me the disco king uh it is a remix version that includes maynard on it uh, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, if there's any other soundtracks to movies, to shitty movies that have great soundtracks, hit me up uh, so that I can take a listen, alright? So, thank you very much, uh, and I will see you at the next episode, 666, The Demon Child.
With those 
disco king. Bring me the 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 disco king.